this is Champagne Divorce Party, where we talk to inspiring women who have turned their divorce into the best thing that ever happened to them. We're your hosts. I'm Carolyn. And I'm Gillian. We're best friends who have not only survived brutal divorces ourselves, but thrived in our lives post-divorce. And now we run Champagne Divorce Club, where we help women navigate their separation, heal their hearts, and transform their lives. Today we're joined by Kirsty Ann Ferguson. Kirsty is an entrepreneur, author, a step granny twice over, and an all-round business dynamo. She runs three businesses and published her first book during lockdown, The Albino Chameleon, The Things That Make You Oh my gosh, I fudged that. The Things That Can Make You You Can Become Your Superpower, which I love. We love superpowers. <laughs> um, we're so excited to talk to her today about how she turned her divorce into the best thing that ever happened to her. Welcome, Kirsty. Hi, great to be here. And I love the name Champagne Cartel as well. It's absolutely oh, awesome. Thank you. We, um, we're inspired by our great passions in life. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Um, so, Kirsty, let's uh, start at the beginning. Well, the beginning somewhere. Can you tell us a little bit first about the marriage you were in and how long were you married, you know, how old were you when you met, all that sort of stuff? Well, I'm going to go to the first one because I'm going through my second, um, it was going into my third act, let's call it, <laughs> my second very amicable divorce. So my first very amicable divorce was when I was 45 um, and I was married to an Englishman. And we'd been through a hell of a lot together. So we'd been through infertility, um, the death of my mother, my father falling apart, my brother being diagnosed as a paranoid psychotic. I know, it's all, it was all fun and games. Um, so we'd been through all of that. And, and ultimately, um, uh, I ended up with mild depression. I didn't know what that was. I just thought I don't feel anything. I, I, you know, I don't want to do anything. And I was diagnosed with mild depression. And I, I thought to myself, that doesn't happen to me. I'm not that person. But who is that person until it, until it happens to you? So that was a really big wake up call for me. And um, the choices were either you take medication or you change up some stuff in your life super big time. Um, and having been married to an Englishman for, and I think we were married for nearly 10 years, nine and a half years or something, or together nine and a half years, having been married to an Englishman, um, he, was, he was pretty typical and he didn't really deal with emotional stuff. He sort of, you know, just went and played tennis. Mm, got on, yes, got it out on the tennis court. She'll be right. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so my decision when I, we went into, we went into counselling for a year um, together, disaster. <laughs> Basically, he couldn't get a word in. <laughs> um, uh, Counselling for a year and then I said, okay, so the change is going to be that I'm going to leave this relationship. And um, six weeks later, I was out. I'd, wow. Yeah, yeah. I'd bought a, I, uh, we were in Paddington in Sydney, so it's a really lovely area, had a, had a terrace house. Um, and I bought seven acres in the Crumbin Valley, plopped my horse on there and decided I would become a country person. Wow, that's such a massive change. Yeah. What made you what made you decide to do that? Well, I'd been riding for for you know, you know 20 odd years and I kept a horse up there at a friend's place and that sounds really posh. These are really cheap little quarter horses that you trot around the country in, right? <laughs> um, so I had one up there because they were nice enough to to let me do that and I used to go up all the time and I thought if I'm going to get back to who I am, I need to change everything. I've been living his life, let's say. And we mm. did some great things together, great adventures like I'll tell you about some of them shortly. But um, 
I thought I have to get back to me. So I decided to do something I'd always wanted to do, which was to work with horses. I'm a very big animal person. Um, so I packed up the dog and uh, moved the horse onto there. She was already pregnant at this stage and, um, and we moved up uh, and s- such a learning curve. I knew nothing about managing property. I can now build an electric fence. Oh, impressive. So I really, I got myself together when we were there and, and um, well, when I say we, it's me and the dog. Um, I really got myself together because I was able to have that time away from everything and go, right, who am I? What are my priorities? And really focus on my business, which was pretty fledgling back there, back then as well, and decide what I was going to do with that. So, so that's how it, how it transpired. And lucky I was, I was married to a very reasonable man and he didn't make it more difficult, but it's still hard, you know, irrespective of that. Yeah, I don't think there's any such thing as an easy divorce, Mm-mm. but um, but certainly amicable helps. Um, you, how would you describe yourself, you know, b- between the person you were when you were married and this new person that's come out of that, you know, fresh divorce? Yeah, What but, was the difference between Kirsty before divorce and Kirsty after divorce? Well, it's funny because I really liked myself back then anyway. And that, that sounds a bit like egomaniacal, but no, I liked, I liked who I was. <laughs> yeah, I liked who I was. So, so. I got to this point where it's like I just have to get back to who I was rather than being caught up in all this stuff. So so I don't think I'm that different. I just am more honest with myself and and I don't probably put up with things as much as I as much as I used to. I, look, I suppose the Kirsty then were, would fall into the dick sand. Do you know Rebel Wilson? Obviously. Well she yeah. said in a movie I recently watched, her friend falls into the dick sand. And, and <laughs> which I love, um, and, and that's I'm what I'm falling in the dick sand. <laughs> in the dick sand. Um, so that's what I would do. So, and I'm still going to do that because I love being in love and I love being in a relationship. So I'm going to fall in the dick sand, but I'm going to have my my boundaries a bit mm-hmm. sort of better developed. I think mm-hmm. so. Have you snorkel ready? Have my snorkel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, I've got a really, I've got a little story that I tell about this, and it's like a time we we went to Nepal. This is my first husband and I. We went to Nepal for a big birthday celebration, but it was a seven day hike on the Annapurna Trail for probably seven to eight hours hiking a day. I went, sure, I'll do that. Right. So, so we, we, we did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're <Yeah>. <laughs> very few people want to spend that long with, by the way, yeah. every day. Million. <laughs> well, and it was just me and the boys doing this, right? So we got we got through this the, the six days. Um, we got to this, this the sixth day, and you had a choice whether you could walk, walk for another two days to go back to Pokhara, which is one of the main sort of touristy areas. Or you could go straight down to this other little town and get a bus and your journey's over and I can get to my two-day spa day, you know, that, which is what I always wanted after a big thing like that. Mm. Um, I forgot to mention that the day before that six days, I'd been held up by Maoist rebels with an AK-47 to my head. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And so this was his dream. He loves doing these adventures and I did lots of great adventures. So we're up there. I was also at that time of the month, which was really bad. The drugs weren't working. I was like, holy cow, I'm going to flip a lid here. So being my normal sort of easygoing, compromising person, which I am, I just said, look, if you guys want to go on for another two days, that's great, but I 
not feeling great. I need to I need to head down. I can't remember the name of the town. I need to head down there and and get to Pocker and get to that spa. Need to do that, okay? But I say those things really nicely and really calmly. And they're like, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, oh, we think you should come. And they pre- they were sort of putting the pressure on for me to continue on the t- on the two day walk, the extra two days. And it went on and on and on and on. And my husband was just being a, um, a fucking fence sitter, let's call him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I said to my Sherpa, who was a lovely little guy, I said, how long will it take us to get to this town? And he said, probably five hours. We won't make it before dark. If we, if we need to leave, we need to leave now. And I said, if we, can we do it if we do it at a, at a sort of a jog, a downhill jog? And he went, I think we could. So I got, I got sick of having this conversation with the boys. So I said, I'm going. And I just left with the Sherpa. We're in the middle of nowhere. And so we're jogging. We're like, let's do it. We want to get there before dark. You know, downhill, pretty good on the downhill. And anyway, I didn't know if, if Nick was following me. I, I didn't care. Okay, so I got so we got to this little town, and it was just on dark. We had to find somewhere to stay, and then try and get a bus out in the morning, which was really precarious as well. And uh, then the Sherpa looked up and he said, "I think I saw him coming, probably about twenty twenty five minutes behind us, because it's all downhill and very windy in Nepal." Mm. And he actually was he he was coming he was coming afterwards, but it took him twenty five minutes to decide. He was coming with the wife. <laughs> so, so that story summarizes. Sorry. Was that a moment for you? It was a moment because that story summarizes who I am. I'm like easygoing, I'll compromise, I'll listen to your side of the story. I won't stop you doing what you want to do. But ultimately, if nobody makes a decision, I'm going to do what's right for me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And either you come with me or you don't. The fact that it took 25 minutes to think about it. That pretty su- much sums up our relationship. <laughs> you don't argue with a woman who, at that time of the month. Oh, no. <laughs> so now I suppose when, when you asked, um, you know, how am I different now, now I'll get that out there much quicker and, and still in a nice way but much more firmly. This is, this is my boundary here. Yeah. I need to deal with that, yeah. And that's, that's so important because we always talk about how, you know, no matter what kind of uh, marriage or relationship you were in, um, even if it was with, you know, the worst person in the world, um, if you come out of it blaming them and not learning something about yourself or not changing anything about yourself, you've missed an opportunity. Um, I could not agree more. Mm. You know, and the blame thing is, is one of the, the key things you've got to be aware of mm. and go, if I do that, everyone does it to start with. Right, so yes. let's not beat ourselves up. We all look at we have to find reasons for our decisions. Oh, let's but face it, there are reasons that you're divorcing them in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we all know we're not perfect, even at, you know. <laughs> um, and you've got to take responsibility. So, so the blame thing is is really aware. And when I was going through it this time, um, I was very aware that um, I was looking for those reasons, trying to remember those reasons. Um, but trying not to blame, not always successfully, but trying not to and trying to take that responsibility. And I think that's that's what you learn from all of these things that you go through. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and it's um, it's interesting because, you know, my um, ex left quite suddenly and, of course, there was a period of time there where it was totally 100% me just going, it's all you, which at that, at that moment, of course, it was. But then over time, you know, no matter what the circumstances are, you have to be able to take responsibility, like we've said. And I can absolutely see my my part that I had to play in that, the breakdown of our relationship, um, you know, and I, I think it's 
even when you've been through that sort of scenario, you still need to be able to look at it and go, I can see my role. Yes. Yeah. Well, especially yeah. if you want to have a better relationship the next time around. If you Absolutely. want to jump back in that dick sand, you know, you, <laughs> you really want to be better at it, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, you <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, I think that's just a normal part of the process. But when you take responsibility, it's really freeing, isn't it? You're like, okay. That's a great way of putting it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, can, I know what I need to work on for me. Um, and it's, it's like infertility. I think about it like infertility is you're not infertile on your own. Mm. It's always a couple problem. So, and you're not getting divorced because it's just one person's fault. You're getting divorced because as a couple, things didn't work, and there are reasons for that. Um, yeah. So, so I always think there's a there's quite a quite a similarity there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, can I take you back to those early days after after your separation, and you've you've moved to Crumbin Valley, and you're into the horses. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were your coping mechanisms at that time? What what got you through that time and how, I mean, it feels like you really just ran at this new life, you know, head on. Um, did you, were you happy? Did you, what was sparking joy for you at that time? I was happy. You know, it was really, well, I did a few things. Like I tried to do morning meditation, sitting on the deck, looking up at the escarpment, looking at the, you know, I tried to do that. It's not me. I'm a like manically busy person so I, I tried all those things I knew I should be trying but basically I remember I remember sitting there in it was like an eco style house it was very open and it had no blinds nobody could see in I was in the middle of nowhere well that's what it felt like and I remember hearing this noise it was like this big outside like the bush was going crazy all around me and I didn't know what it was but I wasn't frightened and I but I so I, so I rang a friend who was over in another valley and I said what is this probably on night three that I was there? And I said, what, what is that noise? And she went, that's, that's cicadas. It happens every night at a certain time of year. It was like a massive swarm. And I've gone, wow, that is so cool. But I wasn't scared. I was really happy to be there, even though I'm a city person. Mm. All of that stuff didn't frighten me. So I think just by embracing all those changes and going, I hate that word embrace. It's just like I was just like letting it <laughs> wash over me. You know, it's like, what is that? Because I can figure most stuff out, yeah. And if I don't, if I don't panic about anything, and I just, I just figure it out, um, that was my coping mechanism. It's like mechanism. It's like, well, I don't know that, so I'll just ask somebody, or I'll pop over to the neighbours when their cows broke down my fence and came into my uh, my yard. Don't know anything about cows, but hey, we can figure that out. You know, <laughs> as long as one of their horns doesn't stab a horse. I'm sure we're going to be fine. So I kind of took it one day at a time and went, look, I'll just ask and I won't pretend that I know this stuff because I don't. And that, and that really worked for me. It also took um, hubby two years to, to sign the divorce papers because he was thinking we might be able to work it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and I was like, let's just get on with it. Let's just do it, you know. Um, but in hindsight, I'm glad that it took him two years because it got me to work through everything um, in that time. And but it is, I don't know if, if you guys found this, but I found that signing the papers was very emotional. It was like the it was like a, a full stop on that relationship. And um, I was with the, uh, the um the woman who I just what who's that called who signs who notarizes the the doc the divorce document? I can't remember what they're called. Justice of the Peace. Justice of the Peace. So Justice of Peace was like an 80-year-old woman in a tiny apartment and, I'm, and I started crying and she went, 
that's okay. And I, I said, it's not okay. It's been two years. I wanted this. I decided that this is where I want to be. And she said, this is normal. It's like the death of a relationship. This is this is a death. You and you're doing your final grieving. And she let me, she was teeny tiny and I'm quite tall. She let me cry all over. She was hugging me. She came up to my navel. I'm like, I cry. Yeah. But um, but I've always remembered that. That it's you're just putting putting the final, the final um, nail in that in that coffin, and it is like a death, and it is part of the grieving process. So so yeah, that was that was how how I managed things just day to day and immersing myself in everything um and so how long did you stay in Corumban for well when you jump into things and you don't know what you're doing (laughs) uh, you have quite a few reality checks so I stayed there for probably two and a half years Um, my business went nuts obviously I had to make a go of it because I was you know single now and so my business went nuts and I thought I could work three days a week and then run the property. My dog went feral because I was paying no attention to him. The horses were kind of, you know, up in the paddock and being fed, and that's about all because I was working so much. Mm. Um, so that didn't kind of work out. You have to be semi-retired to do stuff like that. So I decided to come back to Sydney and just focus on um, building my empire. And build an empire you have. Tell us about that. <gasps> well, when you start taking stuff stuff seriously, it's amazing what happens. And uh, so I've got three businesses. One is called Pinstripe Solutions, where I have a global interview coaching business in aviation. So we, we coach pilots and cabin crew and engineers, you know, all over the world. And one of the first things I did with that was take that online and do that um, remotely, you know, via Skype and Zoom and all that sort of stuff, sort of when all of that was pretty new. So I was pretty happy I was on top of that. Yeah, clever. (laughs) It was a good choice because um, not many people, not many coaches were doing it then and people wanted to see you in person. Actually, I coached a a guy just the other day, a pilot, who said, oh, I drove out to Corumban to see you. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. He said that and that was, you know, how many years ago? He said, I've always remembered that. Um, And he's obviously, all pilots are pretty much unemployed now. So he's come back around. Um, and he was over at Emirates, I think it was. Uh, he's come back around to, to have some coaching again. So I came back to Sydney and uh, – sorry, I said that, didn't I? I lost my train of thought. Oh, that's right. So that's – so that's aviation's been, been my um, stronghold. But when I realised that I needed to diversify, so I opened another brand called Interview Chicks with an X um, – where I could coach anyone because their, their family members would come to me and they were nothing to do with aviation. And I thought, well, this applies to everybody, the system that I've created. So I, uh, I, I branched out in a few checks just as well I did because March 2020, aviation, <laughs> the world of aviation shut down. <laughs> And, you know, that just totally stopped. So then interview checks took over and, you know, I coached all sorts of people, doctors and Surf lifesavers, I think they're called surf lifeguards now, um, and you know tradies, absolutely anybody through interview checks. And then the third thing is because of how disadvantaged school leavers going to be coming out of, of year twelve, uh, we developed a program called High School to Hireable, um, which gives them all of those real life skills that they need going into uni or trade or trade jobs or um, or their first you know full-time or part-time job interviews so we developed that as an online course 
going into directly for schools. So schools take that on board and then they deliver it to their year 10, 11 and 12s. So that's what I've been doing. Wow. As well as writing the book, you know, that I did that as well. I was just going to mention that so that, and you're an author. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's funny because, you know, um, I know you guys have a journalist background. When I left school, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, But the way that journalism has gone, um, especially, you know, when they go running after stories and, you know, all of this sort of stuff, I realised that wasn't me. But, you know, like anything, you can be a writer in so many different ways now. It's such a privilege. So I start, you know, I do a lot of blogs and all sorts of stuff, and that developed into articles for other publications. And then I thought I already had books going, and I thought, well, and I'll write one to give interview chicks credibility. And that's when I wrote the Albino Chameleon um, just before COVID hit as well. That launched. So you know, my timing is impeccable. It's yeah. like you knew something was coming. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> What's the book about? Can you tell us about the book? <clears throat> the book is about fitting in and standing out at the same time, which is, you know, uh, a massive. Chameleon. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad you got that because, <laughs> because chameleons can normally blend in with everybody. But if you're an albino chameleon, which are real, by the way, you can't. And you okay. can only be absolutely honest because you can't hide your feelings and you can't hide who you are. Who you are. And my premise is that, that um, your superpowers come from that of who you basically are in life, those everyday skills, those things that make you you. You don't have to have saved the world to have a superpower because mm. they're in everything that you decide to do. And that's what I wrote, wrote the book based on. So it's, a, it's, it's all about confidence and, um, and, you know, defining those superpowers. Mm. Of course, everybody says, so what's your superpower, Kirsty? And I go, well, it's dog naming <laughs> that is the best superpower I have ever heard. Exactly. So if you've got a, if there's a purebred dog walking, I don't, I'm not that good with the mixes, but with the purebred, if they're walking down the street, I can go. That is a Nova Scotian duck tolling retriever, and that is a Dogue de Bordeaux. Um, <laughs> so I can do that, and everyone goes, "Well, why is that a superpower? How does that help you in life?" And which is a great question. <laughs> And they've asked, I've been asked that whilst on stage with the Deputy Prime Minister. Uh, and I've gone, How, why is that my superpower? Well, it's my superpower because it connects me to my communities no matter where I am. So if I take my dog to a dog beach or a dog park or I move 17 times, which I tend to do, it connects me to my, my community automatically. Mm. Um, so, uh, and that's why it's my superpower because it's been really one of those things that have have brought me out of some of the, the most difficult times in my life. That's, I can't, I, I'm so impressed by how you tied that back in. Totally, <laughs> no left field. I love it. I have to tell you, though, that my eight-year-old daughter also prides herself on her ability to name dogs, but she's not naming the breed. She actually names them. As we walk <laughs> down the street, she'll go, that's like Bath Mat, that's Fluffy, that's Hugo. <laughs> well, you do tend to know the dog's name and not the human's name. Absolutely. Oh, she doesn't actually know their names. She's just calling them what she thinks they look like. Oh, I love that. I love that. And then people will say to you, and, you know, you look like your dog, beady, you know, beady eyes and a long nose. I've got a terrier who has beady eyes and a long nose. I'm like, right. Well, Jill, Jill always calls me her Afghan hound, so. Yeah, it's my favourite dog. It used to be Barbie's dog back in the 70s. Barbie had an Afghan hound. Did she? And I, 
Yeah, Carolyn's my Afghan hound. <laughs> I'm, I'm that's my mother's favourite as well. Beautiful dogs. <laughs> yeah. I used to have a dog um, that was a cavoodle and it was this sort of gingery and she she and I used to walk along and someone yelled out the cat. Remember that time? Yeah, I do remember that time. What is someone, this? Someone yelled out to you from a passing car, hey, um, you, your yeah. dog is exactly the same colour as your hair. Your hair is <laughs> the same colour as your dog's. Like that was what the, they had a ciggy in their hand and they yelled out the car window, uh, which I thought was, I could not stop laughing. I was just crying. I thought what an odd accusation to make against someone. Oh, it's <laughs> like, very common. It's very, very common. <laughs> she was a pretty dog though. She was very pretty. But we clearly, don't Clearly, clearly. My dog's black and white though. No, actually he's mostly grey and people go, oh, so you don't, I went, well, if you think this is my natural hair colour, you <laughs> Sorely mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> when you start taking the dog down to get foils as well, then you're getting really, you know, <laughs> taking it too far. Yeah, maybe just a smidge. <laughs> uh, um, look, thanks so much for sharing your story with us, Kirsty. We absolutely love how you've done something so amazing um, with your life and we love um, that you've, turned your divorces well divorce uh into the best thing that's ever divorce happened and a half. yeah <laughs> divorce slash separate current separation in the yeah. same house under covid rules which is cool in other words fun yeah it's um when, when i it wasn't during covid that i got divorced but my ex-husband and i lived together for i think four months after we called time on the marriage and though it, you know you talk about dog years like those four months like not like i don't know decades <laughs> so I, I I feel you but at least you guys are amicable and you know it sounds like things are going okay and you know you've you you know what you're doing you've done it before <laughs> exactly. and he's a he's a laid-back surfy surfy guy and he's got long as long hair as me basically so if he's in the surf and I'm walking the dog we're good um and and on that I have a question for you actually which is you know you you've said both of your you know separations have been amicable what are your tips on keeping it that way? Mm. But that's that's a really good question. I think you have to accept who each other are. And if you keep fighting for space or for air or to resolve things when you know that you can't, um, just because you want to be heard and you need validation, then you're just, you know, flogging a dead horse, basically. Um, so you've got to accept each other um and then you've got to set the terms I, I remember saying to him so do you want upstairs or down and he went I'll go down I'm going excellent because upstairs is much nicer um <laughs> so you've got to you've got to set the terms and and for me you've got to look at the big picture and the big picture is that when I when I married him he's a good man and my, my my first husband was a good man and I married into three three giant stepchildren and we now have two two grandchildren so my big picture was um, I want to continue those relationships. These people matter to me. They're my family as well now, mm. you know. So I went, I've got to manage it so that I still have these kids in my life. Mm. Look, I'm getting a bit emotional about it. That's mm. lovely though. That's yeah. yeah. And, and, and so for me it was I had to get over myself and then go, okay, this is, this is what I really want and, and, we, and we can do this because we're both good people. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. And I, I love what you said too about I think, you know, it do, doesn't matter who's right anymore because it's done. Um, you don't need to prove a point. It's it's that that ship has well and truly sailed mm. and it's it's time to 
establish a new kind of relationship where that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Well, exactly. Um, and I think it, one of the and for, from both of these situations, one of the biggest things that that I wanted to achieve was I wanted to be proud of myself in the way that I managed it. So if I say to anybody else who's going through this, um, if you live up to your own standards and you treat people well and you be the good person that you are, no matter what happens, you can come out of it um, being proud of yourself and the way that you've, you've managed it. Mm. Uh, and that's sort of a guiding light for me. And, and I, often, I often say that to people who are in, in, in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful advice. Thank you. Well, let's finish off with our fast five questions. Are you ready for our fast five? Good. Yeah, have, go. There's no timer. <laughs> <laughs> we just love alliteration, really. <laughs> All right, let's see what they are. So what was the hardest thing about divorce for you? Um, the hardest thing was losing the other family. So with my first husband, I didn't handle that as well. I just pulled away. They pulled away. and We've never spoken to each other since. So for me, that's the hardest part. Um, and that's why I was so, um, you know, determined that that wasn't going to happen this time around uh, mm. because, you know, you love those people and you invest in those people and, and yeah, and yeah, especially when you don't have kids, um, you know, they're, they're, they're a big part of your life. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Number two, who got you through your darkest days? Well, Mr. Bentley, my dog. <laughs> when you're suffering when you're suffering from mild depression and some days you, you don't want to get out of bed you, you won't you'll just stay there for yourself but if you've got a responsibility and he's looking at me going come on come on come on come on and I'll, I'll get up and I'll do it for him so it was him it was also my sister I call myself a lover not a fighter so I don't go in there and and try to win and you know try to be right all the time um so sometimes I can be a bit soft in those ways but my sister's a fighter, so when I didn't have the fight, she was in there, you know, going for it sort of on my behalf. Um, yeah, I think those two things. And, well, when I think about it, the Bentley is actually the longest male relationship I've ever had, <laughs> 13 years. And he's sadly, he's got a little cancer scare at the moment. We've got our fingers crossed. But, uh, um, but yeah, 13 years. He's my man. Uh, what's been your proudest moment since divorce? Uh, my proud look there are so many things that I've, I've achieved personally but I think when you've been through infertility um, every time someone close to you has a baby it get, there's a little thing that just gets you right mm. and it's not it's not you don't want you you don't want to take away anything from those people at all ever it's not about you but you have a moment or well, I have a moment so when my when my second nephew was born he, he's uh, now 10 um, I was in the cesarean. I was in there. I was the first one to see him. And I was able to go in there and I was making jokes and my sister and her husband were all upbeat about it because it's a full-on, having the epidural and having the, the, the blocker thing, it's really full-on, you know. Mm. So I was in there doing a bit and it was the first one to see him. And then the, then the surgeon said, gynecologist, who delivers them? Is it a guy? Is it a guy? Mm -hmm. Obstetrician, that's the word. See, haven't been there. The so I was watching it and the, I was right up the, the business end and the obstetrician went, wow, you're cool with this. I said, don't worry, I've, I've helped three horses, three foals come out. <laughs> she goes, you should have been, you know, a medical professional. And my sister who's, you know, in the middle of giving birth, pops her little head up and she went, no, nah, 
she's not smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but you know, I I was proud that after all of the the rubbish stuff that I'd been through, that I could get over myself and go in there and do that, and I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, so, what's been the biggest gift from your divorce? Now, I had I had to think about this one. Um, probably. Um, probably what I mentioned before about about being able to walk away from these things, being feeling proud that I I've treated people well, mm. and 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 also having the humility to 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 accept what I've done. You know, off the second relationship, the second marriage that's ending, um, the biggest gift are the grandbabies because um, because they're just absolutely wonderful. And you know, and I'm going to be a barren spinster. At least I've got some step grandbabies over there going to come visit me. <laughs> <laughs> and what advice would you give to someone going through a tough breakup right now well the, the first one was what I mentioned before is like you know about about how you treat people and that you can live with yourself after that they, the other one was that you're going to wake up one day and it really isn't going to matter anymore mm. it's just not all of a sudden all that angst and anxiety and you'll be able to remember the good times and keep those and the other stuff will just it, it'll just fade away, especially if you've pushed forward with what you're trying to do. There was something else I was, I was thinking about yourself about as well. Um, it's what I mentioned before that it's it is a grieving process, and it, it, I think there's seven stages of grief. I think there are. Yes, I think that's seven. Yeah, yeah. So those stages, if you educate yourself about that, if you're aware of those stages, you'll know when they're happening, and you go, ah, oh, I recognize. Okay, this is where I'm at, and they can all happen at different times, right? Yeah, it took me two years to cry about the fact that I was signing my divorce papers. Um, so if you recognise it and you go, oh, "I'm doing that," that's what I'm doing. It helps you to manage that better. So those are probably the, the three core things that that um, I would offer as some sort of experience based uh, advice. Mm, absolutely amazing advice, Kirsty. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for joining us. You've really been incredible, and you absolutely are someone who has turned um, her divorce into the best thing that's ever happened to her. Cheers to you! Thanks for listening to Champagne Divorce Party. If you're going through a tough breakup and would like support from industry experts and a community of like-minded women, come over and join our divorce club at champagnecartel.com/divorce. Catch you next time.